Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. Many people take great solace and comfort in the fact that we live in a land that allows us absolute freedom in how and where to worship God. Surely, this is a cherished and valued freedom that we thank God for. But how much freedom does the Bible give to the people of God in choosing where and how to worship? In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, we see that Moses had a lot to say on this issue. Chapter 12, verse 13 says, Be careful that you do not offer up your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which Jehovah will choose. There you shall offer up your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. The place that Jehovah will choose is a focus of this chapter in Deuteronomy. Ron Kangas has joined us for an important and interesting fellowship today, and one that I think we'll all come to realize before we're through, Ron, that uh, is very, very much on God's heart. It certainly is, because also, as we will see, it relates to the keeping of the oneness of God's people. I appreciated the balance in your introductory word. I would just like to reiterate part of it, Mm -hmm. that... uh, We are very thankful for the freedom to assemble and to have religious gatherings according to our conscience, according to our personal belief in this country. And we do not want to be misunderstood in our upcoming fellowship. In no way would we ever suggest any limitation upon the people of this or any other country or upon God's people, you know, any limitation imposed from without on their freedom to worship and to assemble for worship as they feel they would like. This is a constitutional matter which we honor to the utmost. Having said that, we wish to point out that our burden in this particular broadcast is to consider this matter of meeting for worship from God's point of view. And what does God's word say about it? And what is God's feeling concerning it? And how much liberty does God give his church, his people, concerning this? We're not talking about a political matter or a constitutional matter. We're not suggesting any abridgment on personal liberty, but we are indicating we need to reconsider this matter in the Word of God and really open ourselves to the Lord so that we, through his Word, can see things as he sees them and learn to take his choice and his preference as our own. I hope this word is helpful in setting the tone 
and providing the background for both Brother Lee's speaking in the message and our fellowship concerning it. Yes, I appreciate very much, Ron, that you uh, developed that and clarified it, because that certainly expresses my heart and I think all of our heart here. Let's join Witness Lee right now. Moses, when he comes to chapter 12, is very definite, because you don't have any choice. You have to take God's choice. And God's choice is unique. Unique in the very ground where you have the proper place to worship him. Why Moses was so definite? Because for the keeping of the oneness among God's people. If they have the freedom to choose a place, surely every tribe will choose a place in its own territory. Spontaneously, there will be 12 divisions. But this is altogether not allowed. Moses was strong in this matter, saying again, again, and again, you must go to the place God chooses. You must worship there. You must offer your burnt offering and so forth at that place. Don't forget, that was 3,500 years ago. Nearly no communication, no transportation, properly built. How could people travel? Not just once for 10 years, but three times a year. It's hard to come to Jerusalem, down to the south, three times a year. And you have to bring your children there. You should not just go by yourself. You must go, your wife must go, and your children must go. And you have to bring all the tithes, 10% of your produce. You have to bring all these to that place. Not only the harvest, 10%, but also the kettles and the herd, the oxen, one of ten. All this should be brought to that place. Just for you and your children to go there, that might be okay. But to bring all these living stock, how could do it? You think about it three times a year. But according to record of the Old Testament, the oneness, the unity among children of Israel was kept just by this one act. Ron, I quoted a verse, I took a verse from chapter 12, and really the whole fellowship today is on this chapter. Uh, We will bring in a couple of other elements from the Bible. But this chapter, to my count, six times we see this phrase, the place which Jehovah shall choose or will choose or something similar to that. Uh, When the Lord in the scripture repeats, this really seems to draw us uh, in direct focus to what God is focused on here, doesn't it? It does. And uh, it's not an ordinary matter that's repeated here, but the Lord is in effect saying repeatedly, I will choose the place. And Moses, I can say, is trying his best in serving the Lord to articulate this matter in God that it's very important to God how and where we worship. God has feelings about this, intentions about this, preferences about this, and we need to care about it. 
We need to be impressed again and again that when it comes to worship, God has the full right to decide on the place and to choose it and to ordain that we go there to worship Him. Well, Ron Witnessley made the comment in this portion we just heard that uh, had God not been so specific and so definite, really what was at risk were potentially 12, at least 12 different worship centers in uh, the good land once the children of Israel got there. So that would indicate uh, the keeping God's people in a condition of oneness was really the preeminent thought that the Lord had in this section of the Word. Uh, This is. The thought is the oneness of God's people, and this is very much related to the worship center. And God knew that if he left it up to the tribes, each tribe would, in all likelihood, want something convenient. They don't have to travel so far. Right. And we know from the history that when the kingdom was divided, then Jeroboam did this very thing. He devised another place of worship, means of worship, because he didn't want the people going to Jerusalem lest he lose his kingdom. Hmm. So this is the underlying thought. It's not any narrowness on our part. Rather, it is God's intense concern for the preservation of the oneness of his people. And the preservation of the oneness has much to do with the place ordained by God for the worship of him. Otherwise, and this is a tragic fact, the matter of worship will be used in a divisive way to separate God's people instead of its being used according to God's way to keep the oneness among us. Ron, let's look in this coming section at some of the thought of God related to this matter of oneness and how crucial it is. And for that, we're going to get some help from Psalms, from the 133rd Psalm. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. It is like the fine oil upon the head that ran down upon the beard upon Aaron's beard that ran down upon the hem of his garments, like the dew of Hermon that came down upon the mountains of Zion. For there Jehovah commanded the blessing, life forevermore. A short psalm, but one that is almost infinite in uh, its rich content and importance. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Do you still remember Psalm 133? Oh, the brethren dwell together in unity. And that was a psalm of a set. If you were there in Jerusalem, you could see Jerusalem was on the top of a peak. From the bottom to go there, it takes quite a long time. Up, 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 all the time up. The children of Israel, when they come to Jerusalem, they have to come up that peak. Especially they have to sing Psalm 133. How good, how pleasant that the brethren dwell together in unity. It is just like what? Firstly, like the oil dropping from the head of Aaron through the face 
That was not only pleasant picture, that was a beautiful picture. Then it was also like the dew on uh, Herman. Herman was up to north. The dew will drop down from Herman to Zion. Amen. So they were kept by this practice. Now I know some of you would ask, how could we keep that? How could we come together three times a year? You have to know, in uh, typology, there was a matter of the geographical ground. But in the fulfillment of this type, the ground is not a geographical matter. The ground is in our spirit. You know, that woman of Samaria talked to Lord Jesus. Then the Lord Jesus answered to worship God is neither on this mountain or on that mountain, but in your spirit. This is mentioned clearly in John 4.24. Then the Apostle Paul added another verse. Verse 20 of Ephesians 2. It says, God's habitation today is in our spirit. The Lord Jesus tells us that we have to worship God in our spirit. And Paul tells us that God's habitation is in our spirit. You put these two things together, you can see the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 12. Ron, the picture that we just listened to Witness Lee develop is the children of Israel now ascending up Mount Zion to make their offerings, and then this psalm of uh, the blessing poured out upon the oneness comes out. How do we relate to this as New Testament believers? I would say in this psalm, it is a settled matter that the place has been decided. So what we have is a beautiful picture of the blessing of life upon the oneness of God's people, which oneness is preserved by their obeying God in his ordination concerning the place of worship. So you have a pleasant sight of brothers dwelling together in oneness, not having an occasional gathering, but dwelling in oneness. And this is likened to the ointment upon the high priest. It's likened to the dew descending upon the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Well, where is this there? For us, it's not a geographical place. There is the oneness of God's people, according to God's ordination. If we are in this oneness in reality and practicality, and if we worship God in this oneness in reality and practicality, there we will experience the genuine anointing of the Spirit, which is not for an individual, it's for the body of Christ, and there we will experience the dew of grace descending upon us, There we will experience the commanded blessing of life. 
or would say it's like God in his governmental administration, does not simply release a little blessing. He commands that the blessing of life come upon that place, and that place is the genuine oneness of God's people, according to God's ordination. He mentioned, uh, and just quickly, these two New Testament verses uh, that put together give us some additional definition for us. Of course, John 4.24 and Ephesians 2.20. Tie these together for us. In John 4.24, according to the context, there is a place to worship the Father. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not on any other mountain. Is in the regenerated human spirit mingled with the divine spirit. That's John 4.24. Mm-hmm. We know from Deuteronomy 12 that we were to come not merely to a place, but to a place which was God's habitation. Right. So the place we know is the spirit from John 4.24. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, especially 22, we see that the dwelling place of God is in this same regenerated human spirit mingled with the divine spirit. So, in order to worship God in reality, as the fulfillment of the type in Deuteronomy 12, we need to go to the place that's our spirit. We need to go to God's habitation that's our spirit. Then we can have the assurance that we are worshiping God the Father in the place of his ordination, the place of his dwelling, which is the place of our oneness, and it is the place of the commanded blessing of life. And here we worship God under the anointing, under the grace, in the life, in the place of his habitation. This is what the Father is seeking. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Whether you are meeting in New Zealand, in Taipei, in South Africa, in London, we are divided by geography. Actually, we are still remaining in the oneness. You saints who are meeting there in London, Britain, actually, you're not meeting there. You are meeting, number one, into the Lord's name. Number two, in the spirit. And number three, where the cross is. Today is a poor situation among the Christians. Even two Christians staying in one motel. And this Christian stays in room one. And that Christian stays in room two. Yet, this Christian would not fellowship with the other Christian. Why? Because this Christian is a Baptist. And that Christian is a Methodist. If they want to pray together, Methodists have to give up all things concerning Methodists. And the Baptists have to give up all things Baptists. They all come into the one name. And they just come together in the spirit and take the cross. Right away, they could pray together. Amen. This is the oneness. Ron, as we heard, uh, the components so far that designate this place of God's choosing, first, that his name is there, second, it is his habitation has now just been opened up, 
Another provision is found in this chapter. Let me read one more verse to you. Verse 27, And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood, upon the altar of Jehovah your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out upon the altar of Jehovah your God. The altar, of course, we know in the Old Testament typifies the cross in the New Testament. In this context, how do we see the working of the cross? For most of us, we think of the cross in terms of dealing with our sins along this line for our redemption. But here it's put into this context of this place of worship of God's choosing. So that must indicate that the cross has a further operation than the objective dealing with the problem of sins. I think of Paul's word in Philippians 3.3, We are the circumcision who serve or worship in the Spirit. It is a fact that there are inward subjective enemies in our being that can pollute or corrupt or frustrate the proper worship of God. And these things are the flesh, the self, and the natural man with the natural life. Chris, what kind of worship will the Father receive if the believers come together and they're all in the flesh? Or if they're all in the self, in their opinion and in their self-interest? Or if they're all just in the natural person with the natural life and the natural concepts? It will be a mess. So when we come together to worship in the place and in the dwelling, we have to realize there's an altar there that's actually in front of the entrance to this place. And that altar signifies the cross that deals with the flesh, the self, and the natural life. And in reading the life study of Deuteronomy, which I highly recommend, I was really touched by this sentence. I'd like to take the liberty to read it. It's from page 76 of the Life Study. To experience the cross is to be set aside, to be annulled, to be reduced to nothing. This is a crucial requirement for our worship of God in the oneness of the body of Christ. We all need the cross to set us aside. We all need the cross to annul us in what we are in ourselves, and we all need the cross to reduce us to nothing. If we are reduced to nothing, then we will worship God with the Christ who is everything to us. There will be no intrusion, no frustration. We will be in the place, we will be in the habitation, and we will have the reality of the altar, the cross, then we can be intrinsically, organically, deeply one with one another in the triune God and worship him in this unique oneness for his satisfaction and delight. The Father has been and the Father still is seeking those who will worship him in this way. And may the Lord use our attempt to convey some of the burden on this matter, to enlighten, to edify, to supply God's people, not mainly for their sake in this instance, 
but for the sake of God himself, who wants to be worshipped according to his intention and his ordination. Hmm. My only uh, word of addition today, Ron, is simply amen. Thank you for your fellowship. You're welcome. Uh, I would add my recommendation also to uh, to Brother Ron's that this life study of Deuteronomy uh, in printed form is an invaluable resource. I hope you'll contact us. We'll give you a toll-free number and invite you to do so. We would love to get it to you. It's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For Ron Kangas today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee spent seven decades in the 20th century speaking Christ, first in Asia and then North America, eventually all over the world. The culmination of those 70 years of ministry was his Life Study of the Bible, an exhaustive exposition of the entire scriptures. This unique commentary focuses on how Christ can be life to man in an experiential and practical way. These programs encapsulate Witnessly speaking in just 26 minutes. But to get the complete riches, visit lifestudy.com. From there, you can read all of the Life Study messages in their entirety or download any of our more than 1,700 audio programs at no cost. Again, that website is lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.